Customer experience. It's what sets some of the best companies apart from the rest, yet can often be hard to achieve. Tune in monthly as we uncover the secrets behind great customer experience. This is Experience Better, the CX Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Experience Better, the CX Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Thompson, Senior Partner Relationship Manager at Kubra. Today, our topic is the top citizen billing and payment trends of 2021. Exceptional customer experience benchmarks have been set by private companies for a few years now, which has put real pressure on all other organizations to keep up, simply because people expect that kind of service all the time, even from their government agencies. And our research has found that citizen payment experiences have stayed static in the last few years, ranging pretty much from fair to good. This shows that there's lots of room for improvement for government agencies to pull up their socks in order to make the citizen payment experience even better. In this episode, we sit down with Troy Cope, Director of Government Services at Kubra, to talk about citizens' payment experiences, how billing and payment trends differ today from 2019, and the effect of COVID-19 on citizens' behaviors. Troy, welcome to the show. Scott, thank you very much. It's great to be here with you and looking forward to uh, walking through this with you. Good stuff. So we got a lot of good stuff to get to today. Um, and let's, as always, let's dive right in. So what types of government services do citizens want to pay with digital solutions? Yeah, so we're definitely starting to see more citizens are taking advantage of digital payments across government services of all kind. Where they can, citizens are using digital payments to pay for things like taxes, licensing, tickets, so on and so forth. But there are a lot of services where digital solutions are lacking say permits, parking tickets, court fees and library fees, things like that. So it's here where we see an appetite for greater access. Now more citizens are currently using digital payments to pay for government services in 2021 compared to 2019. So according to Cooper's research, this trend is evident across different services, but taxes were definitely the most common government payment made through digital at 53%, which was a seven point increase compared to 2019. So that's that's a pretty interesting stat. And let me ask you this, are municipalities aware of this gap? Are they really doing anything about it? You know, what you obviously in this industry up to your eyeballs, what are you seeing from your side? Yeah, so I I think they are aware of it. You know, a lot of these folks uh, that we're dealing with in the government are elected officials, so they need to be aware of it. And I think they really are. And we're seeing that in things such as RFPs the last 12 months that we've been responding to. Uh, There's a greater increase in, in, uh, counties and municipalities that uh, have certain offices that have traditionally taken digital payments, but there's several other departments uh, that aren't. So they're wanting to bring the other the, the other departments and the other payment types within their county or their municipality into fold with what they've been doing, say, in the tax office. So yeah, I think there's definitely a, 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 an emphasis out there and an understanding that this is a need and that uh, uh, they are trying to to fill those needs and fix those needs and enhance the customer experience across all of their departments within the city or the county. You know, and so the world changed, as we all know, a year and a half ago. And and as a result, you know, naturally, you've seen a dramatic rise in online payment processing everywhere for just about everything. You know, in your experience, how do you see citizens currently view their experience paying for government services for the things that you just mentioned? Well, the reality is customer payment experiences with government agencies haven't improved dramatically over the past couple of years. Um, 
folks feel government is falling behind when it comes to citizen, the citizen experience. And since 2019, you know, the citizen experience has stayed pretty static, ranging from fair to good. So with no real improvements in citizen payment experiences, it's become apparent that government agencies lack the ability to adapt quickly, okay, to changing preferences within their constituency. And also the government agencies have to start prioritizing the citizen payment experience if they want to make it better. So Troy, let me throw it back to you. Are, are we seeing this in the municipalities? Are they aware of this gap, you know, and, and the, I guess the rapid change that, uh, you know, that the market has taken in terms of online payments and online payment processing for anything and everything service related? Yeah. And I'll go back to, again, just what we've been seeing the past 12 to 14 months with RFPs that have come out and with discussions we've had with folks on the phone. And uh, I think they really are trying to address it and make these changes. And what you're talking about, right, changing preferences and prioritizing the customer experience. I think what we're really talking about here is what I what we call the generational shift, right? I mean, the baby boomer generation, which is really the generation who built this economy, they're nearing retirement or maybe even retired already, which make, and that's going to make the millennial generation now the largest generation, right? And this generation does things very differently. Many have never written a check. They rarely pay with cash and walk-in payment centers, and they're absolutely reshaping the digital landscape. I know this because I have three of them myself, 19, 20, and 21, and these, and they, again, never, very rarely ever pay with cash or check and walk or go drive down somewhere to make a payment. It's all on their phone. So what are they looking for? They're looking for mobile payment options, which really, if you think about it as a society, we're very heavily dependent and maybe you could say addicted, right, to our mobile devices. I think it's somewhere over 80% of the adult population now owns a smartphone and spends anywhere from two to four hours a day on their phone. And again, I know this because I have three of them. So somewhere over 70% of smartphone users use their device to look at products and make payments and make purchases, which help explain why mobile payments have grown by roughly 62% year over year since 2016. So I think what we're seeing out there is as consumers get more comfortable and relying on their mobile devices, the adoption of emerging payment methods also, such as, for, you know, there's channels, right? And then there's mobile payment methods, such as mobile wallets like Apple Pay, Google Pay, and digital wallets such as PayPal, Venmo, Amazon Pay. These have all grown by over 50% too in the last year, so year. So agencies, you know, who need, who want to increase their digital payment adoption, you know, they understand this, I think, that they need to meet the ever-changing demands and expectations of their customer. Yeah, and you know I can appreciate your pain. Uh, I have uh, offspring who are similar age groups, and and understand the frustration or the differences between you know how we operate and how they operate. And uh, you know, so traditionally, and you know, I say traditionally, you municipalities and government agencies have typically been pretty slow to affect change internally on their side. So the, the good, you know, the good news that I hear from you is that from a, uh, an RFP standpoint, the government agencies are, are putting this out there. Let me ask you, how long do we need to wait as citizens, as, as you know, online payers trying to pay our tickets and taxes online? How long do we have to wait for these government agencies to pick a vendor and start deploying some of this, this awesome technology that we're all looking for? Yeah, and that and that varies by office and by payment type. Again, in, in some offices, you're dealing with elected officials, for in like, like say, for taxes. And uh, they have a tax season, right? So um, they want to make a change. They want to bring additional feature functionality or channels on on board with what they're currently doing. But they do have a tax season. So they're going to 
start pr- printing their bills, you know, in the late summer, early fall, and they're going to mail those bills out. And those bills are going to have information on there for their customer bases, where to make payments, how to make payments. So once the bills go out, then you go into collection season, right? You get through collection season towards the end of the year, first of the of the next year, and then you're into the delinquent tax season. So there is a time frame there of anywhere from three to four months or so that they really can't make any changes to what they're currently doing. So they got a window you know, from maybe early spring to late summer that they can make these changes. So if they get you know, get their RFPs out and they make a decision somewhere in the late spring and the, the timeline lines up with a new implementation that they're looking at, um, they can make that happen. But uh, I think I think we've seen, again, through the RFPs that we've responded to and that we've been involved in, we're seeing that uh, there was a, a dramatic need and desire to make a change coming through COVID and uh, coming into 2021. So I think that it's, that's just going to increase and there's going to be more changes being made um, by some of these government agencies the rest of this year, the summer, and then into next spring and summer. Right, right. Yeah. So I, it sounded like, you know, realistically, uh, you know, 2022 spring, summer kind of, kind of thing. We'll see hopefully some of these uh, new technologies released from a government standpoint, which is is exciting. So, you know, you did touch a little bit on sort of the changes that, that we have seen, you know, from what you were seeing in your area, how did COVID affect citizen payment preferences? So it definitely did, right? I mean, to be honest with you, but when it comes to digital payments and, and especially mobile payments, we actually started to see a, quite a bit of change back in 2019, pre-COVID. But COVID-19 definitely accelerated the adoption of digital payments. And according to our research, 37.5% of the respondents that, that did respond to our research said that their payment preferences absolutely changed during the pandemic. But prior to COVID-19, the top payment channels for government agencies that we found were government websites, traditional mail and bank websites. Now, during the pandemic, that changed a little bit to government websites, mobile apps, and bank websites. So we talked a little bit, again, there's mobile apps again, right? So the popularity of mobile apps, again, skyrocketed. Uses more than doubled during COVID, and the use of digital wallets also grew. So on the flip side, there was also a significant decline in the popularity of walk-in centers to pay bills. Now, was that truly a, a lack of popularity, or was it because they were closed down? right? But it definitely declined. So I think our new reality has definitely altered customer behavior and preferences, triggering a rapid migration to digital technologies. So the assumption is, for the most part, that those changes are here to stay. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the questions I want to ask, and I like to ask in just about every episode is, you know, why do citizens per- prefer to pay online for those who don't and and what's holding them back? And I can only speak from my experience and you and I have talked about this offline is that we're sort of on that baby booner generation X cusp, you know, started school with paper, ended with computers and, and have sort of seen that bridge from old to new. And, and, you know, people like us uh, have a tendency to receive the paper bill in the mail yet think that we're doing uh, good by paying online, yet we're the worst offenders of all. We're, you know, have our feet in, in both camps and, and not really uh, truly, haven't truly embraced online payments. Are, are there more people like us out there? I mean, or do you see, obviously we're trending towards online payments, but, you know, what what is sort of the reality that you're seeing? Yeah, so I'll have to go back again to the research we did through uh, the Kubra Citizens Billing and Payment Report uh, that, that we did earlier this year. And then we'll, we'll cover the why are they doing it first, and then we'll then we'll talk about what's holding them back. But the the top three reasons why citizens are paying for their government services online are seventy percent said they think it's convenient, 
which obviously it is, right? 62% believe that paying online is easier. So we got convenient, we got easier. And I agree with both of those. Then 58% says it saves some time. You know, what's interesting, which and those are great stats, but you know, you you wanna if I look at that and flip the stats, you know, and reverse the script, so to speak, if 70% think it's convenient, there's 30% out there that that still thinks it's not convenient. And and you know, 40-ish percent feel that paying online is more difficult. And you know, roughly about the same things that paying online does not save them time. So what is the disconnect? Where where are we failing or where is the industry failing in, in I guess, educating these people and letting them know, you know, that there are significant advances in, in security and ease of payment and, and all those good things. Yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head with the word education, right? So, I mean, in order to, so yeah, in order to sway citizens, not taking advantage of digital payments, these government agencies should, again, take the time to communicate these benefits through education programs and other citizen communications to increase online payment adoption. So those who aren't choosing to pay for government services online say that security concerns, poorly organized websites, lack of digital options are some of the things preventing them from using online payments. So to reduce security concerns around digital payments, government agencies should focus probably more on communicating again and educating around the security measures in place to protect citizen data and to encourage them to make the shift. So, you know, to you bring up security and and that's something you see and i know as a consumer when i go out to any sort of site to make a, a payment or an online payment i always like to see that little sort of green check mark or some verification or some stamp that the site that i'm using is verified secure by you know whatever sort of third-party agency out there um, is this something that that we need to see is this something again am i the only one who looks for this type of thing uh, you know, what are the sort of security measures that, that we do need to see? Yeah, well, you, no, you shouldn't be the only one looking at this stuff. I think I, I do as well, obviously. But yeah, around security and some of the things that these agencies can educate their their constituency on are things like what you were describing, which is SSL encryption, right? What, what, what level and, you know, thinking about is it was it installed properly and is it updated regularly with their current provider and on their website? There's other things like uh, your login screens. Are they hacker-proof? Do you use a capture code verifying field? Things like that. Um, is the platform you're using, uh, is it, it secure, right? Are you using a secure platform with your current provider? Have there been any breaches in the past? What did that provider do to remedy uh, what happened with that breach? And are you comfortable with the efforts they made to correct that? Um, you know, don't store information, payment information on your network, right? Let a fully hosted software as a service company do that for you. They're usually going to be, you know, very highly PCI compliant. And that brings me to the last one, which is obviously PCI compliance. So with PCI compliance, your provider may be PCI compliant, but if you're accepting payments over the phone or in person, are you following PCI standards and regulations to make sure that everything uh, that you're doing in office is fully compliant? So, you know, a, a lot of online payments really start further upstream. And, and and let's talk a little bit about that on on what prompts consumers to make payments online. And it's really with the original paper statements. You know, we uh, when I got into this business a number of years ago, I'm not going to date myself, but it's enough to know that, you know, we thought with online bill presentment and payment, electronic payments and e-billing that, you know, paper would be a thing of the past. And here we are 
and here I am dating myself, you know, 25 years later, paper is still very prevalent, uh, you know, with many of the demographics that we deal with. So, you know, are we seeing a shift, a dramatic shift, a fast enough shift from away from paper to sort of online statements? Yeah, and I'm in the same boat as you. For some reason, I'm still in that camp that at least with some of my uh, uh, payments I need to make on a monthly basis or yearly basis, I still like to get that that piece of paper, right? But according to the same Cooper research we did, 65% of respondents indicated that they prefer to receive statements by email, 20% via online websites, 17% via mobile apps, and 15% via text message. So there's still a significant number of citizens at 42% that we came up with who prefer to receive statements by mail. Accordingly, an omni-channel solution is recommended so government agencies can communicate with citizens in their channel of choice. Okay, so you you threw out a pretty good term there that, that I'm familiar with, but not everybody might be. What do you mean, and for those who don't know, what is an omni-channel? Omni-channel, right. So omni-channel payments are are offering multiple payment channels, right? How many channels are you offering to your to your uh, customer base? Uh, you know, again, we're talking a lot about digital today, and that's that's been on the increase for a few years now on mobile. But what are all you are you offering your constituents to to make these payments? How easy is it for them to do that? So some of these various payment channels we can talk about again with digital. There's the mobile app, right? Is there is the site that you're using where folks come to your website to make a payment? on their mobile devices, is a mobile responsive? Does it conform to the size of the screen that you're using, whether you're using a tablet or a four inch uh, screen on your on your phone or an eight inch screen on your phone? Does it automatically conform? Because there are some folks out there who aren't real comfortable with downloading you know, multiple apps on their phone. So uh, uh, that's a big deal to think about. And uh, also on the digital side, you know, our, our uh, pay by text is pay by text an option. How about secure email? Those are other channels that we would we would uh, classify as digital. Um, and then there's in-person payment options, right? Are you offering point of sale? With now that we're coming out of COVID, some centers are opening back up for people for those who really want to make in-person payments or feel more comfortable doing that. What about kiosk? Is there a, have you considered a kiosk solution? And also, what about cash? Cash is still a, a viable option for some folks out there in the unbanked and underbanked segment of the customer base. So is that something you might consider? Uh, what voice options are available? Do you provide an automated IVR option? And how user-friendly is that? Are your customers able to pay by phone with a live agent or through a call center, whether it be your own call center or an outsourced call center? And have you looked at artificial intelligence options by utilizing chatbots or smart speakers or some other channels to think about? And they're on the rise now. That is an impressive list. And and for those out there, that's food for thought. You know, if you're only offering a couple of those, there are definitely some channels that you'd want to take a look at, particularly with our younger demographics out there who uh, are looking for some of these, you know, emerging payment options, emergent payment payment channels, if you will. It's more than just, uh, you know, mail in a check or, or you know, pay your e-bill. There's a lot of emerging options that uh, our government agencies can can explore in terms of providing additional payment features for their constituents. So exciting stuff. All right, Troy, Absolutely. this is uh, a part of the program where I like to put you on the spot, where I'd like to tell, oh ask boy. you, yeah, oh yeah, put, you know, sweat it, sweat it, because here we go. 
Uh, because we talk about customer experience and all things customer experience related, uh, we like to ask our guests, you know, to tell us about a time when you had an incredible customer experience. And it can be, uh, you know, an industry customer experience or something that you experienced personally, but something that really stuck with you as an individual that really illustrates uh, a company that went that extra mile to provide that customer service and that customer experience that really stuck with you. Yeah, so I I think I can think of a couple uh, uh, circumstances where that would would fit in the last year or so, but I, I'm going to go back to about a year and a half ago when I, when I purchased a car and I don't know, you know, it was right, right before COVID, but, uh, I don't know who out there enjoys going to a car lot and spending the majority of your day there trying to get a deal done on a car, but I don't, I can't stand it. So I, 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 you know, was doing a lot of searching around, looking for cars online, looking at pictures and, 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 you know, uh, researching the uh, details of cars. And I found one that I really liked. All the pictures look great, right? Inside and out. So I called the uh, company up and they told me, they said, look, we're about 20 miles away from you. So if you'd like, we can do this all online. You know, we can do it over the internet. We can do it over the phone. I'm like, well, you mean I don't have to come up there and test drive it? What what happens then? And they said, no, we're going to, if if you go through with the deal, we're going to bring it down to you and you have 15 days to drive it around. If there's anything you don't like about it, we come back and pick it up, no strings attached. So I like that option. It's still a little nerve wracking for me because you know, I'm used to going and kicking the tires and acting like I know what I'm looking for, but, uh, you know, and, sure. and test driving yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, a couple of days went by and everything was done. I went through financing, everything was done online. And I felt pretty comfortable again, just by looking at pictures. And, and another thing the sales rep did was I said, look, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about tires. You know, then I have to put brand new tires on it when I buy it. How about the brakes? You know, what shape are they in? So he took it out and test drove it for me. And he called me back and he said, okay, I, I came off the interstate and there's a little bit of a shake or shimmy in the front. So I sent it back to our, uh, 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 service department and they said your front brakes are pretty worn down and the rotors re what are the front rotors were warped or something like that so we're going to replace those if you want to go through this with this deal so i said absolutely so he did that took it out and test drove it again told me that that, that fixed that that uh, problem so i went through with the deal a couple of days later they and again they're about 20 or 25 miles away from me so they drive the, the new car down to me as a used car slightly used car whatever so they drive it down to me right to my driveway i've got a trade in here that i'm trading in Guy comes in, we go through about 10 or 15 minutes of paperwork. He takes off in my uh, trade-in vehicle. And and I was, again, got to test drive it while he was here for about 15 or 20 minutes. So I felt comfortable with everything. And I knew I had that uh, guarantee, satisfaction guarantee. So that really stuck out to me because, again, there's there's not too many processes you have to go through in your life, you know, when you're buying things that, that, are, that are more uh, stressful and right. and and then buying a car, right? Yeah. So I re- I referred them uh, my sister to these to this dealership. About two months later, she went through the same process with them. Everything worked out perfect, and I'm now in the process of looking for a car for my daughter, who's moving to Nashville soon. And I'm going with these guys again, and I'm going through the same process. And that's something that really stuck out for me, just from the convenience of it, the stress free, haggle free, uh, you know. Uh, experience that I had with them and I thought it was great. Yep. Proof is in the pudding. Repeat business. And and that says a lot. So let's give credit where credit due is due. How about a little shout out to this organization and let them know, uh, let our listeners know who they are because uh, they're clearly making, making an impression with you and other people. Yeah. And I think they delivered nationwide to be honest with you. It's Woodhouse Ford of Omaha. There you go. Yeah. Love the guys. Lovely. Love it. Troy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, always appreciate speaking with you. Enjoy the time and appreciate you taking the time to speak with all of us today. Scott, thank you very much. 
You got it. Have a great day, everyone. That's all for Experience Better, the CX podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and continue the conversation with us on Twitter or Facebook at Kubra Way. That's K-U-B-R-A-W-A-Y or on LinkedIn at Kubra. Thank you, everyone.